Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Well, church, if you would, open your Bibles up. We're going to look at a couple of different passages this morning. Uh, Through most of the message, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're also going to look at a few verses in Romans chapter 12. We'll actually start with the Romans passage, but uh, if you want to use that ribbon marker in your Bible to mark the place of one of those. Today, we'll be sifting the secrets of spiritual gifts. Yes, I deliberately put all those S's in the title because I'm just a freak that way. Um, Okay, she thought it was funny. Uh, And so that, you know, that's all that really matters to me, as long as she thinks I am. Uh, Sifting the Secrets of Spiritual Gift, actually part 10 of our series, uh, Stuff Every Christian Should Know. While you're turning there, let me tell you about a young schoolboy who tried out for a part in the school play. I mean, he was so anxious. His mom knew that his heart was set on it, but she was afraid that he might not be chosen. Well, on the day that the parts were announced, she arrived at the school to pick him up after school. The boy rushed up to her, his eyes shining with pride and excitement, and he said, I've been chosen to clap and cheer. Okay. That ought to be a lesson to all of us. You see, regardless of whether we're someone who's out in front of people or someone serving behind the scenes, God has lovingly chosen us for for different gifts, uh, different tasks, special tasks within the body of Christ. Tasks that will encourage one another and also make His name great at the same time. Well, that is what your spiritual gift is for. All right, so what does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? Let's read a couple of these passages, starting in Romans uh, chapter 12. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. Paul writes to the Roman believers, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Then uh, turn to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll spend most of our time there this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, beginning in verse 4, Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation, manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person 
as he wills. Now, it's important for us to understand who Paul was writing to in this passage and why. Uh, Corinth was a pagan city. It was full of immorality, idolatry, uh, divisiveness, things that had actually begun to worm their way into the church there at Corinth. Now, Paul wasn't writing to a church that really had no exposure to the spiritual gifts. Uh, the Corinthians were just, they were immature in their use of the spiritual gifts. And from Paul's letter, we can actually deduce that the Corinthian believers likely used their spiritual gifts in sort of a free-for-all, no-holds-barred, anything-goes type approach. They're not ignorant about the Holy Spirit and His gifts, per se. They were just, they were uninformed about how to use the gifts well. And that's why chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians are devoted largely to the proper understanding and use of the spiritual gifts. So, what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts, uh, well, he's, he's speaking to the nature of the spiritual gifts. According to the nature of the spiritual gifts, positions within the church, Paul is instructing them that God sovereignly gifts all believers for the purpose of building up the church, and that no believer has no gift and no believer has all of the gifts. Or really to put it more succinctly, here's the big idea behind this passage. That God has given you at least one gift for the building up of the body of Christ. There is a gift that God has placed within you, a spiritual gift. Now in the church we have this unfortunate tendency to divide people up into clergy, you know, the people who work in full-time vocational ministry, and the laity the people who are in the pews. But you need to understand something, church. If you are saved, you've also been called to the ministry. Each and every one of us has been called to the ministry. God has a, a ministry for every person in the body of Christ. So before we go any further and really dig in deep into the spiritual gifts matter, we need to decide, you know, whether you want to be open to that gift, you know, uh, decide whether you want to be one of those people that, that kind of makes things happen, you know, a, a person that watches things happen, or that person that scratches their head and wonder what in the world just happened. So, going to Mercer Church, I would, I, would, I would describe going to Mercer I can't even say that word. I don't know what it is. First, I, I, I forgot that uh, the words were up on the screen. Um, then as I was singing earlier, I was having a real hard time because I, I made the mistake of putting one of those mint lifesavers in my mouth and you start to salivate and you know when the, when the word starts to go, the spit starts to flow and it's very distracting, especially for the people in the front row. You know, that's why there's nobody in the front row here. Either that or you still have bad memories from a Gallagher concert uh, and I'm dating myself with that reference. Okay, let me get back on track. Going to most churches is kind of like going to an Arkansas Razorbacks football game. You see, down on the field are 22 men desperately in need of rest, and up in the stands are 60,000 people desperately in need of exercise. So you have to decide, which group do I want to be in? Do I want to be on the, you know, slide in on Sunday morning and soak up what I can and earn some brownie points for God crowd? Or... Do you want to be among those who have a genuine desire to serve Him? You see, God has called you to serve. 
God has equipped you to serve. You simply just need to unwrap the gift that he's given you. So as we explore this topic, uh, five things we're going to look at. Let's start off with number one, the description of the spiritual gifts, the description of the gifts. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. So in verse 1, he calls these spiritual gifts. In fact, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, that word gift is from the Greek charisma. Charisma is the word that we get our English words charisma or charismatic from. Okay, charisma. Uh, that comes from the root word charis, which is the word for grace. So charisma means a gift of divine grace. You know, each and every one of you has a charisma. So in a very real sense, you're all a bunch of charismatics. <laughs> oh, come on. I am striking. I'm like 0 for 3 this morning. I'm going to have to like start practicing in front of the mirror or do something about the, the, the delivery and, or the punchline is just lame. I don't know. The point is you are all endowed with a grace gift by the power of the Holy Spirit. So spiritual gifts are... They are a supernatural enablement given to God's children for service to Him. They're granted, okay? They're not learned. You cannot teach someone how to get a spiritual gift. God is the one who implants that gift in you. So if anybody tells you that, hey, I can teach you to have this gift, no. It doesn't work that way, okay? So we've got the description of the spiritual gifts. Here's the second thing, the diversity of the spiritual gifts. Look at verses four through six there in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. Now in these verses, you find three key words here. The word gifts, the word ministries, and the word activities. Well, the gifts speak of God's provision. He has provided you with a gift. The ministries speak of God's purpose. The purpose for him providing you that gift is ministry. And the activities speak of power. Now, the, the Greek root word for activities, it can also be translated as uh, working or effects, but really you would define it like this. It's an expression of capability or an activity that impacts another. All right, so in short, God, he makes a provision. He has a purpose for that provision, but then he gives the fuel to fulfill the purpose for that provision, which is ministry. That's the purpose. And no matter how diverse the gifts are, the power is the same. The purpose is the same. The work of the ministry, both within the church and without. Now, diversity isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's actually a, a good thing. Think about it. How boring would things be if we all talked and thought exactly the same? I mean, what if we, what if we felt exactly the same about every single thing? You see, if two people agree all the time, one of them's not necessary. So diversity, it's, it's good. All right. I, Got a base hit with that one. I mean, how could we function as a church if each and every one of us had the exact same giftings? That's the point I'm getting to. 
So Paul spends half of chapter 12 describing diversity with unity. So diversity is good. Division is bad. And we saw a whole lot of that with the church at Corinth. Unity with diversity. That's what we need. So what is unity? Well, let me start by saying what unity is not. Okay? Unity is not unison. Okay? Um, our, our praise team on Sunday mornings, they, they sing in unity. You know, one heart, one voice for God. But they don't always sing in unison. I mean, from time to time, you'll hear parts. Somebody sings the melody. Somebody sings, you know, alto or tenor or whatever. Create harmonies. So unity is not unison. It's not always the exact same voice. Unity is not uniformity. Because uniformity is, you know, that comes from pressure to do it exactly and say exactly what other people do. Unity is not union. Okay, now being members of the same church, that gives us union, but it doesn't give us unity. I mean, you know, I can catch two tomcats, tie their tails together, and hit them with a dose of pepper spray, and I've got union, but I don't have unity. And now some of you are thinking, Eric, that's awful. I'm going to call the SBCA or PETA. You know I would never do that, right? As far as you know. Um, Paul described the unity that we desire in the church in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, he urged them to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is uh, above all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians 4, 3 through 5. So that's unity. That's the church being in one accord, you know, uh, having a, a singular heart for God. But because God has gifted us in diverse ways, then we should have unity with diversity. Many gifts coming from the same Spirit, serving the same Lord. All right, so we discussed the description of the spiritual gifts, the diversity of the gifts. Let's move on to the third thing. That's the design of the gifts. There in verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, uh, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. All right, so what's the purpose for your spiritual gift? Simple, the common good. Or as the uh, New King James translation says, for the profit of all. Your gift is meant to profit the entire body of Christ. It's not intended for selfish purposes. You know, it's not intended to, to make you look more spiritual. That's not what it's there for. It's not an end. It's a means to an end. And that end is to serve the body of Christ and make much of his name. Think of it this way. Your spiritual gift is not so much a source for enjoyment as it is a force for employment. It's a tool, not a toy. Our gifts exist for each other. We serve each other. You know, when you use your gift, you bless me. When I use my gift, I bless you. Mutual encouragement. And we both glorify God in the process. Well, when we come to realize what the spiritual gifts were really designed for, that's when we can truly be a blessing to our church. And our church can be a blessing to our community. And our community can be a blessing to the world. So we've seen the description of the gifts, the diversity of the gifts, the design of the gifts. All right. Let's talk about the distribution 
of the gifts. We'll spend a little bit more time on this particular point. Paul lists these gifts in verses 8 through 10 here. And then in verse 11, he says, one and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. So how are the gifts distributed? Well, God endowed you with a spiritual gift on your spiritual birthday. That moment that you said yes to Jesus Christ and you entrusted your life to him, God implanted within you a spiritual gift or gifts. Now, don't, don't confuse your, your, your supernatural spiritual gifts with special talents or, or natural characteristics. I mean, uh, most of your natural characteristics are hereditary. You know, I got my height from my Grandpa Phillips, got my thinning hair from my Grandma Phillips, got my big ears from Grandpa Chaffin, and I got my big belly from Peter Pan, Sara Lee, Dolly Madison, Mrs. Beard, Captain Crunch, and Mickey D. Your spiritual gift is not a natural characteristic. It's a supernatural characteristic chosen for you by God so that according to 1 Peter 4.10, we can use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. Now in both 1 Corinthians 12 and that other passage we read, Romans chapter 12, we find a listing of the various gifts. Now, different Bible scholars are going to categorize them differently, but I think you can break them down into three broad categories. There's the leadership gifts, the service gifts, and the sign gifts. So let's take a couple of minutes and talk about the leadership gifts. Uh, these are some of the more practical and common gifts in the body of Christ. And the first one is, <laughs> surprise, surprise, leadership. Uh, Paul speaks to this one in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Uh, those with the gift of leadership are good at coordinating things, uh, helping people to see a vision, then moving them toward that vision. Then you've also got the gift of prophecy. Paul mentions this one in verse 10 and also in verse 6 of Romans 12. Prophecy, in the New Testament sense, is the ability to speak for God. Okay? It's not foretelling, you know, as in predicting the future. It's forth telling. It is speaking the Word of God. There's the gift of teaching, and those two kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but the gift of teaching, Paul mentions in Romans 12, 7. Uh, someone with the gift of teaching is really one of those people that, that has that need to clarify truth and has a questioning mind. And people with that gift are really good at, you know, leading Bible study, you know, teaching a Sunday school class, that sort of stuff. You know, I... Uh, be honest, I, I didn't even know that until I was about 22 that I actually had the spiritual gift of teaching. There was a classmate of mine at college. Recognized my habit of explaining things with great clarity and detail, sometimes even excruciating detail. But uh, she said, I think you've got the spiritual gift of teaching. Now, I did not believe her right away, but over time, I came to realize that her assessment was right on the money. And, uh, you know, God used that gift um, and has been using it for, for many years. There's also the gift of exhortation. Uh, we would also call that the gift of encouragement. Paul speaks to that in Romans 12, 8. The gift of exhortation or encouragement is the ability to stimulate and encourage other people in their faith and in their love of Christ. People with this gift often enjoy personal counseling. Some of you know my wife's a hairstylist, but you know, when you go to her salon, you get a whole lot more than just a nice looking hairdo. 
I mean, she's a, she's a great stylist, no doubt. But that's also a place where women go to get encouragement, sometimes wise counsel. In fact, aside from her ministry to her family, the greatest ministry that God has given her is that, uh, that business where she's able to, in that environment, really speak encouragement to the hearts of many women who come and sit in her chair that are just broken, who need a kind word, a word of encouragement or wise counsel. Sometimes she'll take time to pray with them. That's because she has the gift of exhortation. Those with exhortation, they're really good at witnessing, outreach, worship ministry, bereavement ministry, and so forth. Then you have the gift of wisdom. Wisdom, Paul lists that one in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. Um, spiritual wisdom is so much more than just common sense. It's more like uncommon sense. You know, wisdom is, is seeing uh, your life or seeing a situation from a God's eye view, seeing the big picture. You know, people who need guidance or insight, they go to people with the gift of wisdom because they make great counselors. And there's, there's the gift of discerning of spirits. This one's a little uh, more unusual. You see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. When it comes to the gift of discerning spirits, every born-again believer, you know, has a certain amount of discernment you know that increases as the as the believer matures in Christ but the gift of discerning of spirits is the ability to distinguish between the truth of the word and the deceptive doctrines of the world and Satan and his demons you know some in the body of Christ have been given this unique ability to spot the doctrinal forgeries that have plagued the church since the first century you know, the devil is such a great con artist when it comes to mimicking spiritual things that a person with this gift of discernment of spirits is, is needed in the church. Okay, so those are the leadership gifts. Let's take a couple of minutes and talk about the service gifts. Sad reality, so many church members are enamored with success instead of service that those gifts are desperately needed in most churches. And the first one on the list is ministry. Ministry, of course, is another name for service. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 7, he lists it there. Uh, people with this gift, they're really good at meeting spiritual needs through practical means. Uh, a couple of people in this church that immediately come to mind, people like Dean Cooper and Doug Petty, folks who get her done, because their way of ministering to people is through addressing a physical need. And, and most of us, we understand that sometimes with some people, before we can even earn the right to address a spiritual issue or fill a spiritual need, we have to address their physical needs first to gain their trust. Well, that's the gift of ministry. There's also the gift of giving. And I think you all know by now, we're, we're all commanded by God to give. But those with this particular gift, they will freely entrust personal assets of their own uh, to others to see God's work done to see it carried out. Um, they make very sound decisions to meet immediate needs. Uh, I know recently after being serenaded by Christmas carolers from our children's ministry, one of our homebound members called me at the office and said, if there is anything that the children's ministry ever needs, you call me and I will buy it for them. Well, he was the, uh, he was the gift of a service gift, but he's also expressing his service gift, uh, giving. Uh, then there's the, the gift of faith. 
Paul mentions this one in verse 9. Now, it's not simply the saving faith or the serving faith that's common to all believers. It's super abundant faith, mountain-moving faith, the kind of faith that knows when you pray and seek God's heart and ask Him to do something, He's going to do it. That's the gift of faith. Then there's the gift of mercy. Uh, Paul mentions this in Romans 12.8. That's the ability to identify with people in distress and to offer them comfort. Uh, these people who emphasize with, with the heartaches and with the misfortunes of other people. Uh, then they work in practical ways to, to relate to those emotional needs. People with this gift work wonderfully in uh, bereavement ministry, benevolence ministry, hospital visitation, counseling, so forth. Then the third group we find is the, the, the sign gifts, okay? Uh, sometimes they're referred to as the miracle gifts. Thing is about the sign gifts, they were initially given to validate the work of the apostles and prophets in the first century and are therefore more scarce. In fact, some Bible scholars believe that since the validation of the apostles' ministry was the original purpose for the sign gifts, that the sign gifts have actually ceased with the close of the apostles' ministry. Uh, that view is called cessationism. I can't even pronounce it correctly. Cessationism. If I can't pronounce it correctly, then I don't expect you to remember it. There, there won't be a test later. But some believe that those gifts have ceased. So that begins with the word of knowledge, okay? Spiritual gift of knowledge or word of knowledge. Paul mentions this in verse eight. That's the ability to know things that no one else would know other than by divine tuition or revelation. It's God-given insight. You know, and Satan will try to, to counterfeit this one too through frauds like, you know, mediums and, and psychics and, and clairvoyance and all this stuff. I mean, I can just hear them. I'm getting something. I'm, I'm getting, wait, no, wait, I'm getting something. No, could y'all hang back? You're jamming my frequencies. Um, no, Madam Cleo is not legit, so please stop calling her psychic hotline. These are the ways that, that, uh, that the enemy will uh, try to create a, a, a counterfeit of this particular gift, the, the word of knowledge. Now, if you've studied your New Testament, you remember Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they were a couple that they sold a piece of land and pledged to give the proceeds from that sale back to the church. While they pledged to give it all, they actually held some back for themselves and gave the rest. Well, Simon Peter calls, calls them out on it. And, and if you know the story, you know it did not end well for Ananias and Sapphira. Um, but how did Peter know that? Well, it was word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit had revealed that to him directly. There's also the gift of healing. Let me say this, church. God still heals. He heals by miracles and he heals by medicine. Sometimes he heals instantly, in other cases over time. But is there such a thing as a supernatural gift of healing? Well, yeah, I mean, you read about it in the Gospels. Matthew 10, 1, Luke 6, 12 through 13, Mark 6, 7 through 13, Luke 9, 1 and 2. God gave that gift to the apostles. Is it the norm today? Well, no. Now, now there's gotta be somebody in the crowd that's probably thinking, well, okay, what about Benny Hinn? My response is, what about Benny Hinn? Um, let me tell you about Benny Hinn. 
if you'll let me chase a rabbit. There's a group called the Trinity Foundation. They're an American watchdog ministry founded back in 1972. And ever since that time, its main mission has been to expose abuse of public trust by televangelists and religious organizations. And they did a very thorough investigation of Benny Hinn's ministry over the course of several years. They could not find a single medically verifiable case of authentic healing by Benny Hinn. What they did find, however, was a number of cases of people who, thinking they had been healed, went back home, ceased all of their medical treatments, and ended up dying later. Uh, so think about it. If Benny Hinn were legit, okay, why isn't he going to the hospitals and the cancer wards and the children's wards and putting his gift to work instead of using that alleged gift to live like a king? So. Now, does God still channel his healing through other people? Sure, but he does it in a different way than in the first century. He does it through prayer. Book of James, James chapter five, verses 14 and 15. He writes, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person. So that's the gift of healing. There's also the gift of tongues. Uh, Paul, he expends a lot of energy um, in writing to address this gift, which he considered to be one of the lesser gifts, but seems to be the one of the most controversy. Uh, really the tongue, the gift of tongues is the ability to speak in a human language that you have not learned, okay? It's a known language, not an unknown language. It comes from the Greek word glossa. Glossal means an intelligible human language of a particular people. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. All right? Now, I chased a bit of a rabbit last week when we talked about some of the principles of uh, biblical interpretation. Uh, we talked about the uh, analogy of Scripture. We talked about the importance of literary context. Let me hit you with another one. It's called the principle or the law of first mention. Okay? The law of first mention says that in order to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must find its first appearance in the uh, scripture, the first place that that doctrine is revealed. And we must study that particular passage. Now the reasoning behind this principle is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is usually the simplest and the clearest presentation. And then doctrines based on that are, are built on that, that foundation. So to fully understand an important and complex theological concept, Bible students are advised to start with its first mention. So when we interpret scripture regarding tongues in light of its first use, well, that was as an intelligible human language. See, the gift of tongues was not given by God to show others that you're spirit filled. Okay, I remember a friend I had in high school that went to a church of a more charismatic persuasion and I asked him, hey, what's with the gift of tongues? Oh, well that, that gift is to show that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. No, the Bible says that gift is for the common good. You know, a much better sign that you're filled with the Spirit is not speaking in a tongue you don't know, it's controlling the tongue that you have. Much better evidence. All right, so how was that gift of tongues used in Acts chapter two? 
It was used to evangelize 3,000 people at Pentecost. And we see in both Acts chapter two, but also 1 Corinthians 14, that the gift of tongues was given primarily as a sign to the unsaved, not as your personal prayer language. That's not why that gift was given. Of course, when he gave the gift of tongues, God also gave the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Paul mentions that one in verse 10. See, all the spiritual gifts were meant for the common good, not for self-edification, for the common good, including tongues, which is why he gave the, the gift of interpretation, so that all could benefit from the word being spoken. You see, without the interpretation of tongues, then the gift of tongues is completely useless to the body of Christ. And Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. All right, so we've discussed the description of the spiritual gifts, the diversity of the gifts, the design of the gifts, the distribution of the gifts. Let's wrap things up this morning with the discovery of the gifts. You see, God wants you to discover your spiritual gift he's, that he's given you. He wants you to use it to edify and uplift the body of Christ. Why? Well, first of all, it's a matter of lordship. Presenting yourself as a living sacrifice and saying to the Lord, I am yours, God. You are my master. Use me as you will. It's also a matter of stewardship. Because failing to use your grace gift is a tragic waste. It's poor stewardship of the gift that he's entrusted to you. Think of your spiritual gift as a, as a muscle. If you don't use a muscle regularly, it atrophies. It's also a matter of membership. Because it's within the membership of the body of Christ that you're going to discover your function. Gifts are best discovered in the fellowship of the church because when you learn to accept yourself and be yourself and, and give of yourself to the church body, that's when you're really going to begin to discover your gift. And when that happens, when you discover your gift, there will be enjoyment. You'll have a sense of doing what feels natural or more to the point, supernatural. There will be encouragement Others in the church will recognize and affirm your giftedness. There will be enablement because God will never call you to a work that he won't enable you to be successful at. He wants you to accomplish the task. There will also be enlightenment. Not only will others recognize and affirm your gifts, but the Holy Spirit is going to affirm your gift and your ministry. And, you know, if after, you know, having the affirmation of the church and affirmation of the Holy Spirit, if you're still a little bit uh, clueless about what your spiritual gift is, spiritualgiftstest.com. I kid you not, there is a real website, spiritualgiftstest.com. There's a survey that you can take. I think it's about 100 questions. But it will help you pinpoint the way that you're gifted and able to serve the body of Christ. Church, the point is that you are God's gifted child. And he doesn't want his child to just go to a church and sit in a pew and take up space and listen to some music, soak up, soak up some preaching, and then just go home. I mean, he wants all of the members of his team to be in the game, to be on the field, not in the bleachers. 
And see, your Christian life is not going to be very rewarding to you until you discover your gift. And you put that gift to work, to edify the body and to uplift the name of the Lord. Now, I've spent the last uh, half hour or so talking about the importance of discovering and accepting your spiritual gift. But here's a harsh reality that we all need to get. You can't receive that spiritual gift until you have first received the gift of salvation. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.